This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. With me today is Ian Logan, Engineering Manager at Airbnb. Ian, thanks for joining me. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. So you joined Airbnb back in May of 2011. And uh, what number of employee were you on the team? I believe I was like the 60th plus or minus 65th or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a ton more about what you've done at Airbnb, but I think it'd be cool to step back a little bit before that and talk about some of the work you did before Airbnb. Sure. I know in particular, one of your big areas of interest or, or your domain at Airbnb and, and before that was payments. Yes, that's right. How did you get into sort of the engineering of payments and have that become your specialty? So when I graduated um, out of school, I immediately went into um, investment banking. Um, basically, as a trading engineer, I built trading systems on Wall Street. Um, and I think, if I recall correctly, at the time, what got me really excited about that world was the challenge of, of working on hard problems in a space where there's very little tolerance for error. So, you know, what drove me a lot was the excitement of having to work on a system where any downtime or any bug can lose X millions of dollars. And to me, that connection to the bottom line really got me going and motivated. Um, and over time, I built more experience with dealing with payments. Um, I, I became even more comfortable with dealing with a lot of money flowing through a system. Mm -hmm. So that's really where, where it started. Have you been a part of any big errors that caused losing money? Definitely, definitely. There's, there's many stories um, and lessons learned along the way. Um, let's see, at the, at, at the bank, I mean, just due to the nature of the systems, um, right, downtime for even a few seconds can result in like hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. At Airbnb, the same is true. Mm -hmm. I think, though, the important thing is to not be afraid of, of situations when systems break. Um, it's really something to, I think engineers need to experience that to really learn from their mistakes. So, Right. It seems like in that scenario, while the outages might suck, if you never have an outage, then you can never build protections against them, I guess, is the silver lining, right? Yeah. That experience allows you to say, okay, that happened. How can we make sure that never happens again? That's exactly um, right. Actually, at, at Airbnb, along the way, the reason why we've evolved the systems the way we have is because we've we've ran into issues. And you're exactly right. Like if you don't know, you know, you wouldn't even look to fix it. So definitely through the experience, we our systems have evolved. Your degree, so you went to the University of Waterloo, right? Yes, I went to Waterloo, which is in Canada. Yeah. And it was in ma mathematics? Yes. With some computer science. Mhm. Mm but then what combinatorics? Combinatorics, yes. What is that? So combinatorics is a type of mathematics uh, which basically deals with permutations, um, graph theory. So think of like just you know different com combinations and how do you count many things. Also more on the theoretical side of combinatorics, like if you have a graph, you can do sort of analysis on infinite graphs. So if you had like nodes and edges, what kinds of interesting patterns arise? 
Um, that's really what combinatorics was mm-hmm. about. And that was a, a, a domain. I only did it because I was really interested in it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I studied computer science and math. And you went into, out of school, you went into doing payment stuff and financial stuff. And yes. you've really continued that. Does that mean that you always wanted to do this? Um, I never really planned to to always do payments. And actually, um, during my, my run in investment banking, the reason why I left is that I wanted to, A, experience what it would be like to be at a startup, um, and B, work on more of the consumer side of technology, because obviously investment banking, it's, it's, it's not consumer at all. Um, and so when I joined Airbnb, I actually never planned to work on payments. I was actually up and ready to do anything on, on web, mobile, whatever, you know, they had for me at the time. I think I just naturally gravitated towards payments, probably because my coworkers assumed I knew payments. And I say assumed because you know consumer payments is actually very different from right. investment banking. Um, so I think along the way, I just helped build payments, and and today I, I now lead the team. Yeah. So you mentioned you left what you were doing before to join Airbnb because you wanted to do a startup. So it's probably worth mentioning that you've worked at Morgan Stanley, Barclays. BlackRock, BlackRock. all huge enterprises, right? And huge companies. Yes. Was there surprises in joining a relatively small startup from those environments? Absolutely. So many surprises. I mean, it's, you know, world's upside down uh, in many ways. I think one would be company culture. I really, I mean, I've I've been in investment banking, I think it was for about four or five years. And jumping into the startup world, um, I sort of went into culture shock, things I, I wasn't used to. Like on a daily basis, even like, for example, simple how you dress. I was used to being in suits and ties where now I can just come in a hoodie or like I'm wearing a T-shirt right now, for example, which is great. But aside from the culture shock, other differences, definitely from a development perspective, things move a lot faster, right? There's less people and chains of approval to go through. So people are more empowered and and, and we can have a much larger impact. Technology-wise, though, I think... Like in investment banking, I primarily built in Java and C++, your sort of traditional languages. Joining Airbnb, they use um, Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, um, other consumer technologies. And Ruby in particular for a payment system is really interesting because you can move really fast. um, But at the same time, you can break things very fast. So that was actually something that was new to me as well because I was very cool with Java solid, stable type of platform to be dealing with large volumes of money. Had you used Ruby before you joined Airbnb? No. So um, before I joined Airbnb, I haven't used Ruby. Um, I haven't actually even you know dabbled with JavaScript or any web technology. So it was pretty much the first week or first month on the job at Airbnb that I learned everything I know now. Uh, hopefully you liked it. I know. I absolutely liked it. Actually, um, funny story. Um, my first day at Airbnb was actually on a Sunday. Um, and the reason why it was on a Sunday is because the CTO, Nate, called me up and said, hey, Ian, I know you're starting on Monday, but I have a ton of projects to talk through. Would you like to come in? So I ended up coming in on the Sunday and he basically um, talked me th- through some of the existing system. And I was forced into the position of really learning Ruby on the fly. Um, and actually, I was coding on that same day, even though I didn't know the language or the existing systems or infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that, that first day was really exciting. And I actually enjoyed that a lot um, because it was not only challenging from figuring out what's what the current infrastructure or architecture is, um, but just like pure technology wise, I, I had to learn 
how Rails and Ruby works. And you mentioned that things go faster. I assume that at that point, and maybe it does now, but I assume at that point, like Airbnb might not have had DBAs. That's right. Yeah. At that time, uh, Airbnb didn't have DBAs. Actually, even today, we don't have DBAs. Um, And on top of that, I'd argue, like when I joined Airbnb, the speed at which we developed, if anything, we develop at the same rate, if not faster today. Yeah. But I assume most of the other places that you worked with, you had people like DBAs and that kind of oh, thing. Ab- absolutely. Um, yeah. At BlackRock, there was a, a huge dedicated DBA team um, where uh, you know a lot of the, the performance details with, with data storage would be part of those departments. Mm-hmm. So now we're sort of up to speed with your background, which I think is super interesting. You know, at ThoughtBot, we don't have a specific domain. We don't have a specific niche. We, we work on lots of different things. In fact, we seek out different challenges and and problems and everything. So the idea of sort of working on one domain, I think has really interesting benefits, obviously, in terms of gaining expertise in one area like payments. Um, But like you said, the payments and financial work you did before is very different than what you're doing now, which is consumer payments. And I know that there's a lot of interesting issues in that. Can you just sort of give us an overview of the kinds of things you do at Airbnb related to payments now? Absolutely. So in terms of the, the, the things I do at payments, so I think the, the first question to answer would be what is payments at Airbnb and why does it exist? Yeah. So the, the reason why Airbnb uh, payments is really important at Airbnb and that we have a dedicated team, payments essentially creates trust in the marketplace. And when I say trust, it's you know for guests traveling on Airbnb or for hosts providing their place to stay. If money was an issue, people just simply wouldn't trust each other. So payments really is a sort of foundational core part of making Airbnb work from a trust perspective. In terms of challenges, um, I recently gave a tech talk and I speak about um, how Airbnb is at the top of the payment stack. And what I mean by that is that, for example, we're not payments the same way PayPal does payments or Braintree does payments. We're at the top of the payment stack, meaning that Airbnb is so global, our goal really is to um, make the payment experience as native as possible. And in order to do that, we need to partner with several payment partners. Mm-hmm. Moreover, other challenges, I and mean, this came up last year where we launched essentially uh, hotel taxes, supporting that on the platform. We have to not only serve pure payment volume for guests and hosts, we have to serve other compliance issues like taxes. Uh, we, we actually also built our own internal data warehouse. So everything finance-related um, and this actually, it's, it's funny because in the finance domain at Airbnb, there are so many similarities to what I was doing in investment banking. So this is purely about how do we produce um, accounting level reporting for Airbnb's money flow. And what's the transaction volume like now? Let's see. I think the most I can speak to on that is um, in the past few years, um, definitely a couple billion mm-hmm. um, has been flowing through our systems. Beyond that, so Airbnb, we operate it in about 190 countries. Um, we process both uh, money in and money out. And what's interesting about transaction volume is that for any given transaction, very high chance that the currency on either side, so what the guest pays in or what, what the host is getting paid, is different. For example, if a Canadian pays in CAD traveling to Japan whose uh, host is getting paid in yen, the currencies are different. And this is actually really interesting from a transaction volume perspective 
because since Airbnb is taking in different currencies and paying out different currencies, we essentially have huge pools of different currencies, Mm -hmm. which basically have surplus and deficits based on supply and demand. And from a payments engineering perspective, there's a ton of interesting optimizations, analysis that we can do on the simple pure FX volume, FX being foreign exchange. And do you guys do that? Yes, yes, we absolutely do that. And actually, in the early days at Airbnb, one of my projects was on um, optimizing how FX is handled across all transactions. So I think it'd be really interesting to sort of walk through that scenario, if you don't mind, from sort of an engineering perspective or a logistics perspective to the extent that you can. Say say I'm that person in Boston. We'll use Boston where I am. Sure. Um, and I'm going to be going to Japan. And I'm okay. in Boston. Before I leave for my trip, I'm going to stay in Airbnb. And I go on Airbnb and find the right place. I see that amount in dollars, right? Yes. And I say, okay, I want that. And I enter my credit card information at that point. Take it from there. What systems does that hit or how does that flow from there? Okay. I think the best way to describe this, let me start off with a basic view Mm -hmm. and then I can dive into some of the details, which are obviously under the hood, but it doesn't come intuitively. So say you're going from Boston to Japan. Um, Step one would be you, you look for a listing on Airbnb and you book it. And when you book it, you land on our obviously our booking page, which our team owns. This is where you enter your credit card. Um, and actually, Airbnb provides many types of payment methods. So when I, when I talk about like global expansion or growth, we're not just supporting many currencies. We're also supporting many payment methods. So in Boston, in the U.S., you can pay with credit card or you can pay with PayPal, as an example. Yeah. So anyway, so when you pay for your listing, say – so right now is January the 8th. You're booking for some time in February. Um, when you book this listing on Airbnb, you actually enter your credit card details now. And what we do on our end is what we, we do what's called an authorization. So we won't actually capture the booking price on your credit card. We'll, we'll just authorize it or see that we can charge it. And so once you basically submit this booking request and Airbnb authorized your amount, the host essentially has 24 hours to accept or decline your reservation. So let's assume in the best case, the host accepts your reservation. At that time, Airbnb will capture the authorization, meaning um, actually charge your credit card. Right. And so if you think about it, at booking time, Airbnb at this point has received the funds for your listing. So between the booking time and the actual start date of the reservation, that money is actually sitting with Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And when the trip starts, 24 hours after the trip starts, we actually release funds to the host. And in this case, since you're traveling to Japan, it would obviously be in a different currency and actually most likely a different method. So perhaps a bank transfer or through like, say, Western Union. Right. So that's at a, at a high level how money flows through for any given reservation. But to, to quickly dive into some of the details, for example, when yourself, Chad, in Boston, when you viewed that Japanese listing, you viewed it in USD. Right. And Airbnb lets you do that because we want you to understand the price. It's right. If you saw the listing in yen, it re- really wouldn't make sense to you. Right. And so what we're doing underneath the hood is that Japanese listing, when the Japanese host sets it up, we're letting them denominate it in yen. Because again, on, on their side, that's what they understand. So internally, we're, we're essentially floating the price of listings every day based on foreign exchange market rates. So when you view this Japanese listing in USD, you're actually viewing the the converted amount, which was originally set in the yen. Um, Moreover, when you actually 
book the reservation, at booking time, we lock in the rates. Since rates change every day, for a given reservation, we don't want the rates to continue floating. Right. So the way to think about it is we basically float rates when you're window shopping, when you're browsing. Um, but when you actually lock down a reservation and book, at that time, we'll determine what the rate is at, at time T um, and store it. And so when the, act- when the host actually gets paid out, they'll get paid at that locked-in rate um, for the yen. So if in between – in the three weeks between my when I book and my trip, if the yen were to decrease in value, how would that impact the person who was hosting? So foreign exchange rates can go, can go up or down. Right. Um, and in between that time from booking to start date, this is what's known as uh, FX gains and losses. Right. And so from, from the Japanese host perspective, I mean, you know, even though they're, they may be up or down based on that locked-in rate, that's just the sort of nature of rates, right? They, mm-hmm. they had a reservation that was booked. That's really the best they can do. It's not like Airbnb is, is trying to get the best rate for the host because right. it, it wouldn't work out in the marketplace. Right, right. But internally, um, we actually pay attention to this. When I was for, referring to earlier in, in our financial data warehouse, we actually – keep track of um, FX gains and losses. And this is part of the sort of value add of payments on the Airbnb marketplace. Right. Um, we're essentially handling all of these details for guests and hosts. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have something where you guys have accounts in Japan and at some point before the reservation, you realize, hey, this rate is pretty good. Let's move the money to Japan now, to yen now. Actually, that's a, that's a really great question. And so underneath the hood at Airbnb, we have actually hundreds of, of accounts. Mm-hmm. And, and these hundreds of accounts are in different currencies. They're with different partners. Um, and in, in this Boston to Japan reservation example, we're, we're actually not, to your point, we're not converting dollar for dollar you know, your money from Boston for that Japanese host. Due to the economies of scale, since we're processing you know, many, many transactions, many reservations, we can actually fund, for example, that Japanese host's payout with, say, a Japanese guest that was booking. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? And, and actually, to your point, say we didn't have a Japanese guest booking, um, and if we're low on yen, we would obviously have to convert um, somehow with, with some other currency into the yen. And internally at Airbnb, we have uh, a finance and accounting team. They also focus on projections. Um, so you're right. We do pay attention to, you know, at a, at a grand scale, can can we um, net out positive on on any possible um, exchanges that we do? And again, this is part of the benefits of the marketplace since we're working with with so many payments internationally. Yeah, how how big is the team that handles that? Well, so first of all, our payments engineering team we're a team of of thirteen engineers, mm-hmm. and in terms of finance, there's really two engineers that focus. On, on what I talked about. So it's, it's really interesting because our, uh, I'm not sure how these numbers sound to you, but in, in my opinion, the, like, our teams are really quite small um, considering you know, the massive scale of Airbnb. Right. And then in addition to the, the engineers that are sort of doing the programming for that, those finance transactions, I assume that there's finance people backing them yes. up and making decisions. There's definitely finance people. And um, the actual size of the team, we're, we're always growing every day. I'm not sure of the exact count. I want to say actually a bit smaller than our actual engineering team. Mm-hmm. The team you manage now is 13 people. Yes. And you, but you started where you were working directly with the CTO. You were the first payments person. Yes, that's At right. At what point was it clear that, okay, 
I'm going to be in charge of this part of the stack and I'm going to be managing the team? That's a really funny question because I'll admit, I think for the first two years, it wasn't really clear that I'd be responsible for payments. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because, so, so day one, when I joined Airbnb, Nate sat down with me and I was clearly working on payments. But along the way, I actually worked on various other departments. For example, I was working on growth engineering, site performance engineering. I dabbled a lot with many other teams. And I think the point at which it became clear, I think, is when we hired another engineer into payments and Nate sort of assigned me the role of, hey, Ian, can you, can you help lead this platform? Can you actually help take us to you know, a much more scalable state and, and help come up with a roadmap that makes sense for the future? Mm-hmm. So I think about two years in, it, it, it became pretty clear. Do you still code on a daily basis? I code, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest, probably about 10% of my time. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, though, I review every single PR pull request that's coming out. I talk about architecture. Um, I talk about um, ways to solve problems. So although I don't code directly, I'm definitely familiar with everything that's being produced today. And that's part of my role. Actually, before Airbnb, I've never, I never was an engineering manager. I've always been an engineer my career. Um, so it, it's, that was something that I've had to learn along the way, that being how, how, to, how to contribute in a different way. Yeah. When you view your job now, what do you think the most important parts of your job are for your team? Um, I think the most important part of my job, number one, would be the engineers on my team. Right. One would be making sure that everyone's interested, motivated by what they're working on. Um, two, uh, you know, a, a second part of that would obviously be how fast is our team moving? Being fast is really important because at Airbnb, we're really in the early stages of growth. And it's really important to sort of approach the land grab in a, in a fast pace. Mm-hmm. So I focus a lot on the people on the team. I focus a lot on the projects. I focus a lot on the architecture and, and essentially the long-term success of what we're building. The way I like to see it is previously, me as an engineer, I can only code so much. Um, and definitely when I was coding at Airbnb, I, I, I was coding long hours. Um, but when I work with a team, especially now with a team of 13 engineers on payments, I could never or I'm pretty sure no other engineer can produce as much code as 13 engineers can. And to me as an engineering manager, that's really exciting because I get to work with that many people and that many projects and that much of the system. Cool. Back in, when did Hurricane Sandy strike New York? That was in 2012. And I stumbled across a story. You probably know where I'm going with this. Okay. That it was not possible on Airbnb at that point to offer a space to stay for free. You always had to list a space that people would pay for. Yes. And so when Hurricane Sandy struck the East Coast, there was demand to list places for free on Airbnb. Airbnb wanted to help out, right? Yes. So what, how did that play out? What happened there? Well, so when, when Hurricane Sandy struck, um, you know, obviously a, a, a disaster situation, um, many people impacted. Internally at Airbnb, there were a lot of ideas going around, how can Airbnb help in this situation? And the idea came up where, what if hosts can list their space for free? Um, immediately when I heard that, um, as a payment engineer at the time, um, I kind of giggled because I knew that the, the system just simply couldn't handle um, $0 listings. Right. Um, moreover, the system couldn't handle just $0 payments. 
And so at the time, it was really a scramble because in, in the time of the disaster, you know, it's not like we have a few weeks, a month to deliver a project and, you know, launch times. You know, it's, it's really on the fly. It's, it's game time. We need to, to somehow help. So at the time, basically, it was a big project, um, but I was sprinting as fast as I could. Um, and it turned out that I was able to crank out the ability for Airbnb to provide this, what we now call disaster platform, um, in actually a matter of hours. I forget what day it was in 2012, but it was really late hours. Um, and I was just hacking away to make the system work uh, for this use case. I wasn't literally hacking the code. I wanted to, to do it in a, in a testable, controlled way. Right. Um, but it, it turned out to work out just fine. And I, I was actually, it was a really fun project because I personally was, was really driven to help, help in the situation. You know, very, very inspiring time. So I, I was just happy to have that opportunity. Yeah, I think it's a cool story, not only because it was for a good cause and obviously had a positive impact on a lot of people. I think 1,100 spaces were listed for free after the hurricane hit. Yes. So it obviously had a positive impact on a lot of people. But I like the idea that it's sort of the heightened illustration of things that can happen in a startup when you're building systems. And I imagine like payments and payment engineers are sort of very buttoned down and the system wasn't able to do that. And I think it's really neat that, you know, you sort of were able to break through all of that and make something. And like you said, uh, you didn't do it where you just hack stuff all up and, and it worked. you did it in a way that lasts today, right? You can still do this on the platform. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, just to add to that, like what's r really cool is that, um, like I mentioned originally when I came out of college, one of the reasons why I went into iBanking or payments was the sort of thrill of, of working on these type of systems. Um, and, it, you know, that theme even is, is true to today. So in, the, in that case for Hurricane Sandy, it was simply exhilarating to have to basically move as fast as possible while taking extreme care. And, you know, part of that, what made that easy was the technologies itself that we use at Airbnb. So Ruby and Rails, huge factor in, in helping me make that happen. Mm -hmm. Going forward, what are some of your shorter term and medium term goals for you know, your team or the platform? Um, so the problems these days are really interesting. Um, one of the big goals for this year is for us as a team to build our own payment service. Mm -hmm. So let me give some context. So yeah. for the past few years, um, when I was working on the payment system, it was it, well, it is part of the monolithic application at Airbnb, unfortunately. So Airbnb has this, what we call um, monorail, yeah. basically a monolithic application, which is in Ruby and Rails, and basically almost every function is on it. Um, when you think about like things from verified ID to booking, price setting, search, you name it. And a goal this year is for our team to essentially write a payment service from the ground up and pull out all of the payment-related features out of Monorail and into this new service. And what's exciting is that we'll be defining a new API. Um, we'll be thinking about scale from the ground up. We'll be thinking about even FX from the ground up. So that will be a, a major focus for the team. Another big focus, and this is um, more due to limitations on the system, um, which is rebuilding our fin financial data warehouse. So internally, we call it Alexandria. So we originally built Alexandria a few years ago, um, and this Alexandria is used for financial reporting and reconciliation. Okay. 
the problem these days is that Airbnb is processing so many transactions that are, are ETL. ETL stands for um, Exchange Transform Load. Our ETL processes and jobs are, are simply falling over. So to be more specific, our finance and accounting teams, they rely on Alexandria to be up to date on a daily basis. But our jobs are taking longer than a day to, to process and to complete. Uh, yeah. So just pure, basically, scalability problems. So a big, a big focus this year is to rebuild Alexandria. And what we're considering is essentially big data technologies to solve these problems. And for me, it's really cool because um, contrast to investment banking, I didn't really get the opportunity to work with big data type technologies, partly because of the time and, um, you know, in, the, in that sector, they, they're really conservative. But at Airbnb, it's really cool because we'll be exploring uh, MapReduce, Hive, other, other technologies in this space um, to solve the scalability problem. So you might be able to use that combinatorix stuff. <laughs> yes, possibly. <laughs> Combinatorics, yes. Combinatorics, sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's really neat. We talked to a lot of people who, and we've done that kind of stuff uh, where we, you know, break apart monolithic applications into a service-oriented architecture. And, you know, as long as you do it thoughtfully, it tends to work really well when you actually need to. You know, I think... If you had set out on day one saying we need to build this as a se- this payments stuff as a separate platform, the overhead of doing that may have made it very difficult to get to the point where you're at today. It's always hard to know. Do you have a sense of that? Well, absolutely. I, I'd actually argue that like there's still a risk today. Like so, we're, we're considering building a new payment service, but there's a huge risk in in a you know making sure it works and is successful, and b that we can launch it into the actual production environment. And at Airbnb, we we follow this development process, what we call dark code. Um, so we, we're constantly pushing code into production, even though it's not used. Mm-hmm. And, and I call this out because especially with like greenfield projects, new services, there's always a risk of whether it actually finishes and whether it, it does what it was originally intended to do. And so for the payment service, um, our plan is basically to push as much of it as we can to the production environment, um, even to the point where, say, we have our existing monorail payment system running. If we wanted to play with and experiment with the new service, we can have it running in, in parallel, yeah. but sort of have it as a dry run where it's taking in transactions but just not doing anything with it, sort of like looking at it, storing the data. Um, and that way, um, it makes it really easy for our team to to work on this, this new service with much smaller risk of, of it actually not working. Yeah. And you can also, when you're in that scenario, you can also then do things like, well, we're going to take 10% of users and we're going to put them through that other flow and actually have it real. And in worst case scenario, you know, we, we're only affecting 10% of volume or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, so the, the A-B testing and experimentation, um, Airbnb, we've, we've open sourced a framework called Trebuchet. So Trebuchet, like sort of launching, feature yeah. launching tool. Um, Trebuchet is really cool because you're right. We can launch to a percent of users, but it, we can get more granular. So we tend to, for example, launch to a percent of our team mm-hmm. um, for starters and then obviously roll that up. But you're exactly right. It's a great um, methodology to to incrementally ramp up features. I think I could be wrong, but Trebuchet allows that targeting down to like specific data, right? So you could say, well, we're ready to test people in Boston, and you could do that too, right? Yes, absolutely. We could do we could do it to specific markets. Mm-hmm. What's really cool is that Trebuchet even works for non-logged in users. So if you're not logged in, 
we can make sure that you have a consistent experience if you're in one test or the other. And the way we do that, we control it through um, what we call BEVs or behavioral cookies, which is pretty cool. Well, extracting a big service like that isn't easy. I, I, I wish your team luck. Are you to the point where you're, you're sort of making estimates for how long it's going to be? So in terms of how long it's going to be, our plan actually is to roll out the new service in phases. Mm-hmm. And for payments that are on Airbnbs, we have both a guest side and a host side um, and different currencies and methods. We actually plan on sort of attacking them one by one. So instead of having the full payment features up and running in the service, we'll actually be supporting, for example, uh, this isn't our actual plan, but as as an example, all credit card payments in the U.S. would be flowing through the payment service. Everything else will be continuing to go through monorail. But to answer your question, how long will this take? Um, it's it's kind of hard to tell. It's 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 early days because there's there's a, still a lot to scope. Yeah. Um, and you're you're right. It's, it's a huge project. Like order of magnitude. I'm just I'm curious in terms of how you you know are thinking about it and how you approach it. You obviously I think it's great to do it iteratively in stages and all that stuff. But you know, is this a thing you're saying it might take all year to finally get to the point where we're totally done? I think that's that's a uh, safe to assume. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, as for for me as an eng manager, when I whenever I deal with development estimates, I know to always be conservative. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I work, when I talk with other teams outside of engineering, when I when I give them a um, a development estimate, say it was a week or a year, even they they tend to double that. Right. But yeah, <laughs> I, I would say a year is reasonable. We're, we're we're definitely coming up with plans to to move as fast as possible. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting for people listening to get sort of insight into experience of other companies. I think that particularly this whole concept of breaking the monorail, you know, splitting up large monolithic rails applications is something that a lot of people are facing now. And so getting insight into what other companies are doing and how long, like the size of those projects, because I think people often do underestimate how complicated that's going to be, how difficult it's going to be, the challenges that are going to crop up. Well, we'll add it to that. What's what's interesting too is that aside from um, migrating to a new payment service this year, we're continuing to build new features. So, right. you know, the development doesn't stop. So, even though we're in the process of migrating, we'll, we're still globally expanding, say into Brazil or India. And you know, regardless of whether that will cause an issue for that other project, we're going to continue to grow. So that that adds to the complexity of of how much is being developed. Any other big initiatives for the year, or is one enough? Um, definitely there are other big initiatives. Some of them I can't talk about quite yet, but yeah. you will learn about them in the coming months. Like, if, like for example, if you were to ask me the same question last year, the answer would be hotel taxes, but yep. I wouldn't have been able to answer it. But now <laughs> I can openly talk about it because yeah. we're now supported in Portland and San Francisco. What I can say is that this coming year in 2015, a lot of new and exciting, innovative features will be coming out of payments um, at Airbnb. Cool. Well, I look forward to learning all about them as they launch. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much, Chad. If people have more questions or, or want to get in touch, what's the best way to do that? I'd say the best way to get in touch with me is through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, my handle is Albert Ian Logan. Um, um, my, my, real, my first name is Albert, but a lot of people go call me Ian. Um, but yeah, Albert Ian Logan on Twitter. Reach out. And that'll be linked in the show notes, which you can find at giantrobots.fm slash 129. Uh, This episode was produced by Tom Obarski. Ian, thank you very much. Thanks, Ed. I'll see you all next week. 